everybody, welcome back to another great edition of Hard in the Paint Podcast, the NBA podcast where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. Uh, again, I'm your host Matt and I'm joined by none other than Michael. And today we've got a bit of a double feature for you going on here. So uh, over the last couple days we had Game 3 and Game 4 of the NBA Finals go off. And uh, I don't know if there's going to be a Game 5 or not, I haven't gotten through that far yet. But uh, there's also a couple interesting things going on in the league with some head coachings and trades, possibilities. A bunch of rumors are starting to pop up these past couple of days. So uh, we'll just kick it right off with the, uh, the ongoings of the league right now. So what's going on with the Pistons right now, Michael? Uh, they're still searching for a coach uh, as well as trying to rebuild their entire front office. Uh, figure out the Blake Griffin, you know, what's the future of Blake in Detroit? Um, you know, is Andre Drummond happy? But in terms of coaching search, uh, Dwayne Casey is probably top of the list. Uh, hearing rumors of Jim Beeline from Michigan, although I think he may, by the time of this recording, uh, may have already declined it. Ime um, Udoka, uh, assistant coach for the Spurs, is also apparently uh on the short list um and then kind of rounding out uh with more kind of outside chances jason kidd and Jawan howard of uh fab five fame so uh pistons very much in the coaching search um i mean uh, i think the money would have to be on Dwayne casey um what do you think about Dwayne casey possibly being a uh, head coach of the pistons it makes a lot of sense to me from the aspect of hey he did pretty good job this year He's done a pretty good job the past few years of always getting more wins with that Toronto team. And he's got a little bit of a, you know, he's got reputation in the league. He's a good guy. He's got, you know, got some grounded philosophy. I'm just not really sure where, where the Pistons want to go in the future. I mean, are they, they got this weird Blake contract. It's like, oh, do we want to be a lottery team? Do we want to try and push for a lower playoff seed? It's kind of like, well, what coach do we want to accomplish that goal? And with a missing front office, it's a little hard for me to figure out what the heck's going on over there. Yeah, I think with the Pistons, it's uh, stay in rebuild mode until LeBron retires and then try and figure it out from there. Um, and also on the East, uh, Boston, we're kind of hearing more and more uh, trade rumors kind of circulate, um, which will obviously only pick up as we enter free agency. Uh, big names possibly on the list uh, include Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James. Uh, out of those three, um, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, and LeBron, uh, which which one do you think Boston probably needs the most, and which one do you really see going? Like, um, you know, wh- which which prospect is Boston uh, probably most likely to get? I think that Anthony Davis would be the best fit because they kind of need that um, another big guy, really. They they have kind of a logjam at that small forward spot with, you know, they got Tatum, Hayward, Jalen Brown, uh, Morris, and I think they have another guy or two in that spot. So you kind of don't need Kawhi in there, but you could still play him. You could play him, like, alongside Hayward somehow or... Uh, do you think Hayward is even there? Like, in order to get Kawhi, I mean, Hayward probably would have to be flipped. Um, 
which I, I mean, that would be insane, right? He plays five minutes for Celtics and could be out of there. I'm not too familiar with how his contract is, but uh, yeah, probably. If you got Kawhi or LeBron, I think even if you got Anthony Davis too, you'd have to get rid of Hayward. Um, Ryan Colangelo and the Sixers have officially parted ways uh, from the investigations. It seems that his wife was the author of the tweets, uh, but a lot of the supplied information came from Colangelo himself. Um, I think the story is still kind of rolling out. It's kind of losing steam, but I think everyone kind of understands the general picture surrounding this. Um, this fallout with uh, the Colangelo front office, and obviously the Colangelos are kind of one of the uh, premier like NBA families, right? Like his his dad has been a part of the NBA for a long time. He has been a part of the NBA for a long time. They're kind of one of the um, more iconic kind of families um i don't want to really say dynasty but they're definitely like up there in terms of kind of nba royalty um how does this affect uh first philly's draft since that'll be upcoming in the next two weeks um and i think they have five picks in the draft including the number 10 pick um and then beyond that free agency overall for the summer yeah so this is a very interesting time for a big organizational change like this it really makes me think that there was some underlings going or some undercurrents going on of oh we really want you know maybe there someone in there really wants lebron and brian doesn't want lebron or vice versa and maybe this is kind of the the straw that broke the back or the final nail in the coffin and just get them out of there so that everybody's working towards the same goal and is the same mindset but additionally, I think it really impacts their draft decision a lot. Um, and whatever they do with that pick will, I think, will definitely tell where they're going in free agency. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Brett Brown has basically been given the uh, temporary job of GM until they find one. Um, I would think Brett Brown would go with um, probably a more conservative pick. You know, he'd probably just kind of pick... Um, a play, you know, he would probably won't do anything splashy in terms, in terms of trying to move up uh, the draft. I think he'd probably stay where he is at the number 10 spot um, and just take whoever is best available on the board. Um, just to kind of round out some league, other league updates, uh, a few days ago, Grayson Allen had an AMA on Reddit. Um, the general questions about his tripping uh, still remained aloof. Um, so typical fuck Duke attitude. Uh, Boban Marjanovic of the Kings, the Kings, right, uh, will have some role in John Wick 3. Um, so, I mean, another reason to go see John Wick. Uh, and Dennis Rodman may uh, possibly attend the Donald Trump-Kim Jong-un meeting in Singapore later this month. Uh, how special would that be if Dennis Rodman becomes global ambassador? This is this is like the funniest NBA storyline <laughs> to me. It's like Dennis Rodman being the number one diplomat over to. <laughs> to I don't Korea. actually know if he's officially there. Like, I think he might just be there himself. I think he's kind of self-inviting himself to this. Um, 
But, I mean, you, you know, if you had told me, uh, which was more likely, Colangelo and his wife having all these tweets or Dennis Rodman being at this meeting, I'd actually say Dennis Rodman being at that meeting is probably the more likely thing to happen. Yeah, if you had told me that like a month or two ago, I would be right <laughs> with you on that one. <laughs> uh, and then some upcoming events. Uh, June 21st is the NBA draft. Um, we'll have some, some special editions kind of going on that week uh, to get people primed for the draft. And then on June 25th, uh, the NBA awards show. Uh, this includes some of the top heavy awards like MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Most Improved. Six man coach of the year, uh, as well as some of those fan favorites like best play of the game and best pass of the year and things of that nature. Um, so looking forward to that. Uh, all right, Matt, what's uh, what's the game plan now? Season's over. It's it's a rough it's a rough spot to be in as an NBA fan right now. But one of the best ways you can get out of this sort of lull before the draft is to uh, waste some time sitting on the couch enjoying some great movies from your local neighborhood blockbuster. You can head on down to your local blockbuster to watch thousands of movies and TV shows from any and every genre. You can do action, drama, comedy, you know, softcore, whatever. You name it. Blockbuster provides the best and easiest way to rent movies. Uh, as a part of the summer program, you can keep a movie for the entire summer, watch it again and again with friends, or watch the different languages or bonus features, whatever. Additionally, Blockbuster also sells uh, several movie-related products, such as you know packages of popcorn, candies, drinks, you know body pillows, speaker systems, you name it. Blockbuster will hook you up with the ultimate movie viewing experience. Why pay monthly for movie subscriptions that you'll never watch or hundreds of TV shows that you'll just never get through when you can select just the right rental you need for your next big movie night? Head on over to Blockbuster.com for a free film of your choice with the start of a new rental program using our promo code HARDINTHEPAINT. That's right, go to Blockbuster.com using promo code HARDINTHEPAINT to start your summer movie experience. And with that, let's talk about Game 3 real fast, since uh, obviously Game 4 happened between the last time we did this, but uh, basically the cut and drive Game 3 was... Um, it was actually like a pretty decent game. It went about as you expected the series to go, with kind of Golden State always having that you know, 6-10 to 10 point lead. Uh, the final score was 110 to 102, and the Cavs, uh, I believe the Cavs were up at halftime, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, they they just got outscored, though, in the second half. Um, kind of one of those Golden State third quarter runs. Um, basically took them out of the game. Um, you know, I think we all kind of had hopes that somehow Cleveland would kind of keep it together. Um but, you know, especially as early, you know, Kevin Durant had some early turnovers. Um, Steph had a couple quick fouls. Clay Thompson kind of got in a foul trouble early. And it looked like, oh, man, maybe things are kind of heading the right way for Cleveland. Um, but then, unfortunately, that third quarter, you know, that kind of iconic, classic Golden State quarter um, really was a difference maker um, in that game. Uh, and then eventually... 
yeah, the the game itself is going to be kind of remembered as that Kevin Durant went off with 43 points um, and sort of core this, you know, this series away from Cleveland, um, you know, especially with a dagger at the end. Uh, yeah, that, that was the shot of this year's finals for Kevin Durant. Um, some of the other interesting storylines going on in this game were uh, Iguodala came back. He didn't play a ton of minutes, but he did get some good – some good defense, a couple steals. He had a one really nice dunk on Tristan Thompson that was nice. Um, Steph had a historically bad shooting performance, so that kind of cemented KD's um, new front running for finals MVP. And uh, there was also a very nice play of uh, LeBron James. Uh, he, he does a triple threat move on a switch with JaVale McGee, and he chucks the ball up to the backboard and runs up and self alley oops that down down the hatch uh and that was pretty much the highlight of the game for the Cavs. you know as you mentioned a lot of things seemed like oh things could start going the way for the Cavs, but they just couldn't really get all of their pieces lined up to take advantage of of some quick fouls and some some turnovers and some miscommunications and whatnot yeah, it was kind of interesting to watch kind of this game kind of uh, juxtaposed with game four because uh, the big standout uh, over both games for Cleveland was uh, Rodney Hood really kind of came into his own. Um, he had 15 points, 7-11 from the field in game three, and I believe another 13 points in game four. Um, so we kind of saw flashes of somebody who could create his own shot um, and it was it was very interesting because in game three, the Cleveland bench um, and kind of really focusing on Kyle Korver, uh, Nance, and Jeff Green looked absolutely awful. Golden State was just completely picking that second unit apart. Um, and in game four, it was the you know the exact opposite where uh, Nance and uh, Rodney Hood um, really kept you know. Cleveland in game four for a while. Um, it seemed kind of weird that kind of flip. Um, they don't necessarily see that often. So, it, you know, I think it really gave Ty Lue a ton of headaches because his starters were clearly better in game three, but then they, you know, in the second half of game four, they just completely disappeared. Um, so, I mean, he really did just kind of run out of players and talent. Um, y- you know, I, th- I think if you're – if you're looking at the games three and four in Cleveland, uh, LeBron, Kevin Love, and Ronnie Hood were by far the three most outstanding players for Cleveland. Um, and if that's kind of your your foundation, um, that's not bad. I just it's, you know it's not going to win you a series, but um, maybe they should have gone a kind of that that kind of lineup earlier. Um, but it was kind of interesting to watch this kind of starter second unit uh, conflict within Cleveland. Yeah, and one of the big guys in there was Jordan Clarkson. He didn't get very many minutes in Game 4, and I think kind of Game 3 figured out, oh, Rodney Hood's a little bit better team player, uh, gets his own shot better, that kind of stuff. Yeah, Jordan Clarkson's five minutes in Game 2 might be some of the worst basketball I've seen in a finals, like, ever. I mean, it was just... (laughs) It looked a lot like an AAU guy just trying to (laughs) play his own stats, you know? It It wasn't... He didn't really play with the team, it felt like. He just kind of did his own thing, which he kind of did on the Lakers, and obviously the Lakers haven't been very good. So, 
Yeah. Uh, another thing I, I, um, Steve Kerr kind of did was um, he inserted JaVale McGee um, into the starting lineup um, with he, with uh, Andre Iguodala coming off the bench. Uh, this kept Golden State big at the beginning uh, to kind of combat the Cleveland front court of Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. And, uh, you know, I thought it did a really good job. I thought uh, JaVale McGee and Jordan Bell – uh, in both games, uh, did really well at slipping the screen um, and getting kind of an easy dunk, easy layup, kind of easy points. Um, you know, kind of, you know, everyone kind of expected Golden State with, you know, their four all-stars. Um, but maybe, you know, the presence of JaVel McGee on the offense, um, kind of providing like an inside threat, and then him on defense clogging up the lane, um, I thought he actually had a um, really nice presence in both games three and four. I think at one point in game four, he had a plus 23 uh, in like 13 minutes on the floor. Um, you know, how did you see like JaVale McGee in this series? You know, did, did he kind of meet expectations? Was it kind of like an X factor, you know? JaVale McGee was the like perfect tech for the lineup. You know, he's someone that didn't get a ton of playing time in in the past series or the past games of their playoffs in terms of, you know, Spurs or the Pelicans or the Rockets. Uh, they just didn't seem like they could put him on the floor a whole lot. But he was he was a very good, good uh, tool bag option for them this series to, you know, throw a big body on Tristan Thompson or throw a big body with Larry Nance just to sort of keep those guys honest and not let those guys have their way so easily getting offensive boards. And also, lobs are something that Golden State just historically doesn't do. And so getting that on top of crazy threes and, you know, any second chance points Golden State gets are just so deflating because they're like the easiest threes in the book where people start leaking out for the transition you know, JaVale might grab it, toss it right to Steph. He just steps into a, like a wide-open three. That is so deflating to a team. Yeah. I think, you know, if LeBron on Cleveland kind of cancels out Steph, Katie, Clay, and Draymond, let, let's say somehow LeBron James cancels out the other four players, um, then you're kind of left with Iguodala, JaVale McGee, and Sean Livingston versus Kevin Love, Rodney Hood, and the rest of the guys on Cleveland. And I actually think, you know, Andre Iguodala, you know, in his limited minutes played extremely well, I thought. Um, no surprise. But I actually think JaVale McGee outplayed everyone on Cleveland except for LeBron James, which is kind of mind-blowing to believe in 2018, um, especially because I, I don't see JaVale McGee you know, kind of maybe coming back onto this uh, Golden State team next year. But the fact that he might have been, if he was on Cleveland, the second best player for Cleveland. But um, <laughs> I thought he thoroughly outplayed everyone not named LeBron James. No, that's is... that's hilarious point you say, because, I, I mean, even a couple of years ago, everyone was calling, you know, JaVale McGee a, a joke of a player and, you know, just a Shaq and a fool, blooper real guy. You know, he's this lumbering giant buffoon that isn't isn't the smartest isn't the most dexterous you know isn't well, I mean, he, did get, he did get blocked by a rim in game one so 
But then, and, and you know, uh, not to, I guess we haven't talked a whole lot about game four yet, but in game four, you know, he gets, you know, Steph gets trapped, he gets the ball, LeBron jumps in for a charge, and he, you know, Euro steps around the guy. Like, that's something, he, you know, you don't see every average day big man do, you know. If that was DeAndre Jordan, he would just try and slam it and get that charge call, you know, against mm-hmm. him. So, uh, but one of the one of the other things just to sort of get us to game four is uh, LeBron did have a pretty nasty ankle turn in game three. Doesn't look like it affected him, but you know, it's just another case of him getting battered and bruised and beaten up, uh, whether it's his own will or, you know, some crazy uh, happenstance. But uh, just to advance the timeline to game four. Uh, so game four, uh, spoilers, Golden State won. Uh, so Golden State has swept the Cavaliers at this point, which was uh, just about 12 hours ago. Uh, and and so how, you know, when we're looking at Game 3 versus Game 4, you know, to me it looked pretty similar. I don't know what you thought. Uh, I'm going to discount the second half just because um, when Golden State kind of went on their third quarter run, um, I think they dominated 25-13 in that quarter. Um, that basically killed the game. Um, so what I, it was kind of interesting because, you know, game three, it was kind of KD just kind of went off. And then in this game, uh, Steph put up 37 points. But we didn't really have that same sentiment of, oh, Steph went off. Um, it seemed like he was just consistently making shots. Um, especially threes very early on in the game. Um, that was the one thing that really stood out to me uh, in game four was the three-point shooting for Golden State uh, just kind of killed this game almost before it started. Like, they came out pretty hot in the first quarter and then kept it going with the second unit, and it just looked like Cleveland could never really find uh, their stroke in this series. Um, I don't know if Kyle Korver you know, even made, like, a shot. Um, you, you know, I mean, JR really struggled. Um, George Hill struggled from the three. Like, it, you know, this game, um, more than any others, really highlighted the difference of three-point shooting really kind of broke Cleveland's back and really kind of killed their 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 spirit in this game. Absolutely. In that first quarter, or even in the first half, uh, a lot of, you know, Cleveland's obvious game plan is, you know, let Draymond shoot threes, let Iguodala shoot threes, basically not let any of the big three shoot threes, right? So uh, they did that, and those guys made, I think, <laughs> so 80% surprised. of those shots. So there goes your game plan out the window. Yeah, I think Iguodala shot like three of five from three last night. And, yeah, a pretty insane percentages for him. And he passed up on a lot of open threes. Like, when I was watching that game, I was getting a little concerned. I was like... Man, Iguodala's getting these wide open threes, and he's just not even trying to shoot them. He's just passing them off right away. But he he yeah. still made you know, you know four or seven or three or five, whatever you said. Yeah, I don't I don't think he was one hundred percent healthy, which just kind of shows how much you know this team can dominate even when their uh, death lineup isn't at full uh, at full uh, strength. Even then, though, he had some great stretches of. Finals MVP worthy level of defense on LeBron. I potentially injured LeBron, which we'll get to later. But um, I, I was impressed by Iggy's play. Still, I, I mean, you could tell he was still 
know, limping a little bit and, and not all the way there, but he had some great stretches in this game. Yeah. Uh, so finals MVP, um, you know, that was kind of the, the, the big debate between uh, these games. Um, and so, you know, Kevin Durant takes finals MVP. Um, but Steph put 37 points up in, in, in game four. And I mean, you know, you know, you can kind of say like the argument was game one was kind of the J.R. Smith LeBron game. Uh, games two and four belong to Steph, and game three was KD's game. So, uh, you know, did, did you agree with Kevin Durant getting finals MVP, or do you think it should have gone to Steph? Um, I, you know, surprisingly, I'm pretty 50-50 on this, because the, the way I see it for for Golden State is, you know, the, the first game, Steph kind of bailed out KD, because KD shot awful shot selection bad percentages well we talked about it before he wasn't hustling wasn't playing defense Steph kind of bailed him out and then game two Steph has the historic you know nine three-pointers made Mm. um and KD kind of gets his groove back a little bit but it's it's very under the radar like everyone's talking about Steph KD's like you know four or five lines down and then game three it's the exact opposite Steph has one of his worst performances ever and KD looks borderline unstoppable. You know, I think he shot like 80% that game or something ridiculous and had a ton of threes and nobody could guard him. He had the crazy end of the game shot from like four feet beyond the three point line. And then game four, it felt very much like, uh, like, like a Shaq and Kobe type thing where it's just like, Oh, they both scored like 30 points and both looked pretty dominant at, you know, I think in terms of game planning, you know, you game plan around Steph, but then you always got KD there as as like, oh, he'll get his shots no matter what type deal. Mm-hmm. But I, I think personally, I would have given it to Steph because he impacts the the volume of the entire game so much differently than KD does. Because Steph, you have to play amazing, great team defense. Where I think KD, it's like. All right, we gotta you know play great individual defense all the time. However, Kate, the numbers for KD do back him up quite a bit, so I, I I can honestly see it going either way. Yeah, I um I thought this kind of had you know it's kind of very similar to the 2007 uh, NBA Finals, which also featured LeBron and a bunch of uh, less than you know starting caliber players, but um. I think with four games, it's always a little difficult to figure out who's kind of the one to put him over the edge. And I, I, this kind of reminded me of 07 because uh, in that NBA Finals, uh, the Spurs swept the Cavs and Tony Parker took Finals MVP. Uh, and I then I thought it should have gone to Tim Duncan. Uh, you know, kind of the same arguments where Tim Duncan really felt like the catalyst of that Spurs team. Uh, the way that Steph Curry really feels like the engine of the Spurs, uh, of the Golden State team. But Tony Parker obviously had uh, just kind of better stats. Um, he seemed to kind of, you know, that, that seemed to kind of be the overwhelming argument. Um, you know, he never really had that truly awful game. Um, whereas I think the thing that held back Steph was definitely that game three. Um, but, you know, did... 
out of you know Steph and KD, and I thought Clay kind of did really solid at just kind of almost kind of smothering George Hill and J.R. Smith. Um, Andre Iguodala, you know, did, did was he the one that really put Golden State kind of over the top in games three and four to the point that Cleveland really didn't have a chance? Um, because as we saw in games one, um, you know, Cleveland was right there to steal it. And then for the first three quarters of game two, you know, Cleveland was right there. Um, you know, did, did Andre Iguodala really make this team like impossible to beat? I, I would say matchup wise, uh, potentially, you know, he's just he's just the right like tech for for LeBron James. You know, he's the he's the one guy that can, you know, somewhat height wise, somewhat muscle wise, you know, definitely IQ wise, they can match up against each other. Mm-hmm. And there was even a part in Game Four where I think it was. Um, I want to say it was like George Hill and LeBron doing a pick and roll at the top, and obviously like Stephanie Iguodala are defending that. And LeBron's trying to like you know set a high arm screen on Iggy, and they just kind of grab each other's hands and they're in this weird like sumo wrestle match for this screen. And like obviously Iggy gets the foul call on him because it's LeBron James, but it it was like lebron was legitimately frustrated at mm-hmm. at a lot of iguodala's defense and i think combining that with what happened in game one with what happened with the series what happened with the season you know he's definitely uh, he's definitely a large contributing factor to making this a sweep like i think if they don't have him i don't think it's a sweep necessarily Ooh, interesting do you think then he should have been the starter, or did you like that Steve Kerr kind of started big with JaVale McGee and then bring in uh, Iggy off the bench? So, I mean, with JaVale starting, it meant that Kevin Durant would kind of be the uh, starting defender on LeBron. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, KD actually didn't do an awful job defending LeBron those last three games. <laughs> the first game, he did bad, and we all gave him shit for it. But um, I think if Iggy was healthy... I don't even think you start him just because he's not, he hasn't been starting. Like, sure, the Hamptons five is like the unbeatable lineup for them, but I think it's good to start JaVale because the those first, I, I don't know what it is about starting big that kind of gets your whole, you know, flow started off on the right track. You know, even for other teams with big centers like, um, you know, think like uh, Toronto. Like Toronto still starts, you know, Valanciunas, but a lot of the times they don't end the games with him. Or and other teams do that similar, similarly. So, I think, I think you still start Javale, um, and you definitely have Iggy come off the bench, and maybe he ends up having more minutes than Javale, but um, that's just like per the matchup type deal. Yeah, there were uh, two things that really kind of stood out to me. Um in game four uh, with about five minutes left in the second quarter. Uh, Ty Lu uh, subbed his starting lineup back into the game. And at that point, they basically lost control of, um, of any kind of momentum. I, I think they were, they were down three or four. He subs them in and they end up being like uh, minus nine heading into uh, the locker room at half, and then coming out in the third quarter, 
Um, everything just kind of fell apart. And I don't think Ty Lu, um, I, I think he should have rode that second unit a little bit more. Um, Rodney Hood and Larry Nance um, were probably the two best players last night outside of LeBron James for Cleveland. Um, it really felt like George Hill, uh, J.R. Smith, and Tristan Thompson had, you know, almost games that would ruin any kind of contract money if they were up for anything like that. Um, Kevin Love really started to fade out there at the end of the second quarter and definitely by um, the third quarter, um, which is kind of a theme I've seen with Kevin Love the last, um, not just the last three games of this series, but also in that Boston series um, and last year in the finals where Kevin Love almost can't do it for a full game anymore. Um, and I don't know if that's just because he plays a little slower and with the pace picking up in these games, um, can you really, you know, kind of stay up there, with, you know, hang with everybody else? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Tai Lu had quite a dilemma of starters and second unit guys just because they seem to flip-flop so much in this series. And then the second, and this was really unbelievable, but in the third quarter, it was so, so quiet, so dead in the arena um, that when George Hill was taking a corner three in front of the Golden State bench, I could visibly hear JaVale McGee and Kevin Durant yelling into George Hill's like ears. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that, that's insane to me. It's the NBA Finals. You know, who cares if you're going down? The fact that I can hear Kevin Durant, the fact that I meant that much to him, to yell at George Hill on a three when they were already up by, I think, like, like 16 points or something. Like, something completely ridiculous. I'm a little disappointed by the Cleveland fans, you know? Like, this might be the last time you see LeBron, and it just felt like they gave up. Like, it felt like out, uh, on this kind of Cleveland team, in terms of people that gave up, it was Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, George Hill, Kevin Love. You know, those are kind of the first four guys that kind of gave up. Then Kyle Korver, then Jeff Green, and then, you know, I would say the fans, and then LeBron, and then Larry Nance and Ronnie Hood. Like, you know, you could kind of just see it throughout the game that, like, successively more and more of uh, Cleveland, you know, would just kind of give up and check out of the game. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with, with everything you just said. Um, the Cleveland fans, though, are better than the Miami fans, as evidenced by the the previous LeBron stint there. I mean, that's true, but Cleveland is like the, like, they're supposed to be like LeBron fans, right? Like Miami has always really been Dwayne Wade's team, you know, in, in kind of the same way that Golden State will always be Steph's team. Um, yeah, no, no matter how much they both kind of say, oh, no, you know, we kind of share it, whatever. But, it, you know, Cleveland is like LeBron, right? I mean. And you also mentioned, you know, Ty Lue has to make this decision of, do I run the hot hand or do I run my guys that have been here before and that I trust? And if you looked at the Boston series as a sort of a, a macrocosm of, of this idea, those last two games were mostly, mostly the old guys, mostly the vets, mostly the tried and true, you know, people that had been here before and done this and it worked out for him. And then when he tried that this time, wasn't really working. I think most of that's Kyle Korver not being able to perform a lot of it's, you know, Jeff Green didn't have a great matchup like he did in Boston. So 
if, if I'm Tyloo, I think I run the tried and true guys just because it's like, you know, Corver could get hot. He hits like four threes in a row and you're like back in the game type deal. Mm -hmm. Because I don't see that happening with Rodney Hood and Clarkson. I'm just not convinced. I used to be a Clarkson fan, but after this playoffs, man, I'm just not convinced by him anymore. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it really was like beyond just the four all-stars. It really felt like, man, even Golden State's bench somehow, which, 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 you know, was under so much, uh, you know, critique over the course of the season of they're not as deep as they have been in years prior. And yet it still felt like the Golden State bench, for whatever it was, hit like a much higher gear in this series um, with Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, Jordan Bell, and even David West. And if I'm looking at Cleveland, I can't even put together a starting lineup. Like LeBron, Kevin Love, Rodney Hood, you know, those are probably your three best players in the series. Um, and then you kind of have a decision of Larry Nance or Tristan Thompson. Um, both had good stretches, you know, both had horrendous stretches that they couldn't stay on the floor. Um, you know, with Cleveland, it's like I can't even put five guys out there. With Golden State, it's like even their second unit can operate and, uh, you know, not just kind of maintain the lead, but can almost be a team in itself in a way that could, you know, rip apart Cleveland. So, um, all right, enough about kind of, you know, boo-boo Cleveland. Um, let's talk a little bit about Kevin Durant. So on the very first possession of game four, uh, JaVale McGee wins the tip-off, kicks it to Steph, and before Steph even crosses the half line to kind of start their half-court offense, uh, he tosses it over to Kevin Durant. And so Kevin Durant on the possession is primary ball handler, and Steph is doing his kind of off-the-ball thing. Um, it ends up with um, some, you know, some passes and goes through some hands and JaVale McGee misses and Steph cleans up. I, I think at that moment, on that very first possession of watching Steph kind of hand the ball to KD, I knew Kevin Durant was going to win finals MVP. Um, but once you're, you know, does this kind of change the sentiment around Kevin Durant um, that he went off in game three, that he had a, Pretty solid finals, I mean, except for maybe that kind of inefficient shooting night in game one. Um, you, you know, has he kind of done enough to earn his status? Um, you know, what, what's the feeling of Kevin Durant now that he's two-time champion, two-time finals MVP, um, had one of the great historic nights in finals history? You know, I think he's... Last year, everybody was way too quick to say he's the best small forward in the league. You know, he's he's number one. He's 1A, 1B with LeBron. I'm still not convinced about that. And that's mainly because, I mean, if you look at him, he's, you know, his, his offensive load is just not there. You know, any pass he makes is, like, basically a guaranteed assist because of just how well everybody can shoot around him. Um, he can play help defense. He doesn't have to, you know, play against the best defender all the time. He can get amazing switches because he's got all these shooters on the floor. Um, he ends up being the tallest guy on the court half the time. And he is just already a, a little bit of a freak in nature. So I'm not, I'm not convinced that 
he is the best small forward. Sure, he's like top five. You know, LeBron's obviously number one still. And then up to me after that, it's like, do you want Kawhi or do you want Durant? And then after that, it's, you know, up to grabs for me pretty much. But uh, do you, um, was he the best player in the series though? And by series, I mean the first three and a half games. I'm, I'm going to discount the second half of game four just entirely. Was Kevin Durant the best player in this series? I would say no. Oh, interesting. Uh, all right. So uh, who 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 was ahead of uh, KD then in this um, in this series? LeBron, uh, Steph. I think Jr. Smith's the best player in the series. He right, actually single handedly won a game. <laughs> I don't know if he won the game. I think he stole a game and gave it to the wrong team. Um, all right, so so you know, with Kevin Durant, you know, the headlines are always going to be he, he went to Golden State, right? How does he, you know, personally, I don't think he had as good of a season as he did last year um, because obviously last year um, he was hungry for a first title. The team was hungry to kind of avenge their three-one um, collapse. You know, the, the the team just kind of seemed a lot more seamless with him in it. And this year, you know, it started to kind of um, tear at the edges a little bit. So, you know, Kevin Durant, LeBron James—that's kind of the premier, you know, one-to-one matchup in this series, um, just because they both play the small forward position. Um, they're probably the two best players in the league. Um, you know, who won that matchup between LeBron James and Kevin Durant in the series? Uh, I guess, I, I guess Kevin Durant won. And I don't like saying that though, because <laughs> LeBron did so much more for his team. Like, I feel like you could put like, I feel like you could put Gordon Hayward in Kevin Durant's spot and that team would have still won. So you think it's more of uh, the system, like Steve Kerr and the rest of the kind of the Golden State system that really kind of yeah, it's um, the, it's the system. It's like the the matchups. It's the it's the scheming. You know, it's I don't think it was. It's not like they had a good old fashioned like two thousand two like duel to the death. You know, it was more of just like oh, you know. George Hill is guarding Kevin Durant in a 10-foot post-up. What's going to happen? Oh, another fadeaway shot that's going to go in. Like, what do you do expect? You <laughs> do you think, Ben, in this series, in particular Game 3, that's kind of the highest ceiling for Kevin Durant? Like, did we witness kind of the greatest Kevin Durant could be is in that Game 3 where he just kind of went off 43 points um, and basically single-handedly – you know, destroyed Cleveland's chances of even um, making a dent in the series. Like, is that is that kind of the all-time best Kevin Durant we're going to see was in that kind of Game 3 moment? That is his best uh, Golden State Warriors playoff performance, I think. I think he's see? had some great times with OKC that I don't know if I want to put them side by side, but I think <laughs> in terms of his Golden State career, that's his... That's his best playoff game. 
So I, I'm I'm kind of at this uh, crossroads a little bit because you know LeBron, it's it's a lot of times in this playoffs, um, I've seen him look a little tired, a little bit more worn down, um, just because he's had to do so much on offense, um, getting banged around a lot, not really getting as many calls. Like it almost kind of seems like uh, he's kind of slipping a little bit out of his prime, which I, I mean is natural, right? I mean, 33 years old, played a ton of minutes um do you think between last year and this year um and as golden state looked to go on the three p we could be seeing the transition from kind of the lebron era to the kevin durant era no no D- do you think like lebron's still going to be holding on to this or do you think it's going to be someone else entirely like it's not even going to go lebron to katie it's going to go lebron to somebody else it's going to be somebody else, and it's because Kevin Durant's style does not make you have to change the entire way you play the game. Oh, wow. From a team standpoint. That's crazy. Um, in a lot of ways, do you think, you know, when, when did this series, like, feel over then? Because uh, it felt like with Kevin Durant kind of being on the floor, He's always going to be a matchup problem. We saw that with Houston. Uh, we saw that with the Spurs. We've seen that with countless other teams. Um, when did this series really feel over and done with? For, for me personally, I felt I almost didn't want to watch Game Four because I was I was pretty confident it was going to be over. Because after Game Three, and it 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 wasn't super close, you know it. And and they you know they put in the bench kind of early in that fourth quarter. Like man, this is the uh, this is the curtain call about to happen right here. And Kevin Durant maybe he sealed the deal that game. You know, Steph was shooting bad, Clay was shooting bad, Iggy was, had limited minutes, all these other things, and then you got Kevin Durant saves the day. And I, that's the whole reason why the series was over so fast. It's like, if that wasn't, if that was Harrison Barnes, you know, I'm not, I'm still watching these games right now. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that, you know, if if the Cavs hadn't let game one slip away, and if Kevin Durant hadn't had a historic night, um, going into game four, the Cavs could have conceivably been up 2-1. Um, but was this challenge of taking on Golden State just, much for LeBron was it basically insurmountable um you know and, and are we kind of seeing a bit of uh revision happen on this finals already with the LeBron supporting cast and the fact that he may um have had a broken hand for games two through four um you know do you, do you see like in a lot of ways this finals kind of being uh, rewritten in the context of CB3 being injured uh, no Kawhi in the first round, Boogie being out in the second round, CP3 in the conference finals, LeBron possibly with a broken hand. You, you know, um, you know, how does this kind of finals win for Golden State kind of compare to last year, um, as well as that 2015 um, championship run? You know, out of kind of the Four years, but three wins of, of Golden State. Which which of those years do you see as probably the the ceiling of Golden State? You know, which which one of those kind of vintages um, is the best? 
So there's a lot to unpack there. I think there is a little bit of, I don't know if it's revisionist history or excuse writing, but when you, you're hearing a lot of these post-game interviews I watched earlier today, um, there, there's this big feeling of, oh, you guys were expected to do this, and that's Golden State win the whole thing. And they're like, does that put a damper on how you feel about the season? And, you know, all the players are like, they obviously say no, um, because it's like a huge burden's been lifted off their shoulders because it was like, you know, we're told we're supposed to win, we're told we're supposed to do this, and we're just kind of waiting for it to come to pass type deal. And then to to finally win and get relieved of that is a different feeling than, uh, you know, having failed the previous year, new team, new drive, we want to win type deal. And that, that change in motivation and feeling about that championship is interesting how it plays into the, the personalities of the players. Additionally, I think LeBron being so beat up this year uh, that we're finding out about now, you know, I think, I think his eyes still screwed up. I think, you know, I, he was in the press conference, his right hand's in a in like a splint or something. Yeah, game three, he turned that ankle. Um, yeah, he's he's had a lot of rough and tumble falls and, um, you know, IVs and getting drained in, at, in the locker room. And, you know, he's put more gas out of his tank this year than previous years, especially with, you know, Indiana was a tough series and then Boston was a tough series. And he even said, you know, or he, he kind of mentioned in the press conference, like, uh, you know, we just used all of our past experience and just we're trying to save us some games, so we just kind of stomped out Toronto real fast. He didn't directly say <laughs> that, but that was what he was trying to say. Yeah. Um, and, and it makes me really wonder, you know, if Golden State can actually go up against fully healthy, worthy competitor if you know what that series looks like because we had a little bit of that in the houston series not to go back too far but you know once iggy went down it felt very 50 50 but before that the hamptons five was unstoppable and then you know previous year playoffs you know with Kawhi being on the spurs they were looking like they had golden state's number for three quarters and then Kawhi goes down that series is a blowout and maybe that's unfair. You know, injuries are part of the game. They happen. Sometimes they're intentional. Sometimes they're random. But, uh, you know, it just makes you wonder. And it's kind of sad that we're, like, doubting the greatness of, of you know, the way that Golden State has really made a new culture in the NBA. And they've changed the way that people, that just, like, casual fans enjoy the game. You know, it used to be, like, crossovers and ankle breakers and then it was like oh kobe i'm gonna iso and call kobe on everything and then it's like oh it's lebron i'm just gonna like dunk on you and now it's like the steph years where it's like oh i'm gonna shoot this three from you know six feet beyond the line yeah i think i think it's crazy that with two transcendent players and in in, on the same team you know this this team really doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel satisfying when they win. 
um, you know, as much like like Steph, you know, is the greatest shooter of all time. Uh, and basically changed the game with the three line. Um, sort of, you know, they took that Miami Heat, uh, LeBron era kind of, you know, playing the small small ball, and they kind of combined it with the spur, you know, 2014 Spurs of having all these playmakers on the floor, and they basically hybridized the two and then injected, you know, three-point shooting and became the colossal machine that they are. And then on top of that, they throw in probably one of the premier, you know, all-time great scorers in Kevin Durant. I mean, this is a guy who has basically looked unstoppable since college. Um, you know, I only ever saw him play one game in college, and that was uh, when he was at Texas in, like, a March Madness game. And I, I thought even then, holy shit, this guy is going to be, like, one of the all-time greats. But, you know, has Golden State sort of introduced kind of dark ages of NBA playoff basketball? Um, you know, this first round was probably one of the best, better first rounds we've had in a few years. But it seems like um, maybe not so much of this year, but compared to like over the last two years at least, um, the playoffs just don't really have that excitement, especially in the later rounds, um, just because Golden State's dominance, you know, is this kind of – you know, because we've had some really good regular seasons, um, and we've had a pretty good first round series, but it's a sort of kind of the the boredom age of NBA playoff basketball. I think it is a little bit, and I think you know, I think my best example of this is you know back when we we're in the Western Finals and the Eastern Finals. You know, we're talking and we're saying. Basically, everybody agrees that whoever won the West was more than likely going to be whoever came out of the East, whether it was Boston or LeBron. Mm -hmm. And I, I personally thought Boston had a better chance of beating either of those teams just by players and schemes and whatnot. So I think it will take... And I don't think... The Warriors are unbeatable. You know, we've got Houston that's literally just trying to engineer a way to beat them, and that's all they're trying to do. We've got the Pelicans that are trying to do something so different than everybody else that it actually is working. Um, and then we've got, you know, Spurs still doing their tried and true. Um, got Minnesota. You got Boston, yeah, I mean, you got Boston and Philly in the East, right? And then in the West, it's kind of, you know, kind of scattered around um, as to who's going to be kind of the one to take on Golden State. But we've kind of seen Golden State kind of run through a bunch of different teams, right? Like, we saw them beat the Pelicans. Uh, we saw them knock off Houston. Both have completely different styles. Uh, we've seen them beat Portland in the last couple of years. Um, you know, like, is is there really a team? I mean, the only thing is the Spurs haven't had Kawhi in the last couple of years. Um, so maybe they're the ones. We've seen OKC get really close, um, but that was when they had Kevin Durant. So, like, Golden State is basically, in the West at least, they've seen a, a few different teams, a few different styles, you know, different types of players, and they've overcome them all. So is there really a way to beat Golden State in the West right now? <laughs> it's a, it's got to be luck, you know. They 
Okay. So much of its skill, you know, maybe it takes LeBron going to like a great team already and just because starting to do that talent arms race. Yeah. But uh, you, you can't beat them at their own game. Like that's something they've proven year after year, and you can't beat them with just one guy. You got to have like a multi multi pronged approach to how you think about this team and how you play against this team and who knows you know maybe something goes wrong with this team over the offseason or during next season there's a lot of rumblings about steve kerr going away you know contracts are up i think most of those rumblings are just me (laughs) of saying steve kerr is gonna retire that might just i've heard it from other people too all right i've got validation (laughs) uh you know a lot of it is everyone's all of them on the team are like man this was the hardest championship to win and looking at you know box scores and playoffs you're like oh, that doesn't make a ton of sense but then when you look at sort of the grind of the regular season and you know people were in and out of the lineup all the time and you know they even during the playoffs they weren't always clicking in their mojo mm-hmm. and it's something you hear about you know every great i guess I don't know if you'd call it a dynasty, but you can for the sake of argument. It's like that that that's repeating and getting back to that spot with everybody coming at you, people just trying to do anything they can to beat you, and you know, people on your team leaving and coming and going, you know, lineup changes, consistency, practice. Like you have this idea that, oh, we're gonna get there. And and then you start slacking, tired. So many things can happen that just whittle down the Giants over time, which gives gives me so many props for LeBron that he's been able to make it so many years. But you know, all, all of the Giants do fall eventually, and maybe it won't be this year. Maybe it'll be next year. But I think it's got to be something. You know, they aren't going to beat themselves, as LeBron said. Got to be. You know. Lineup change, a contract change, a coaching change, injury, who knows? But I don't think, you know, there's only two or three teams that could actually make it worth my time to say, oh, Golden State, who lose to this team? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things I'm seeing with LeBron and also with Kevin Durant is that. you know, with all these other kind of teams and greatest players, you know, with all the other greatest players, right? Um, you know, Jordan had his Bulls, Kobe had his Lakers, you know, Shaq had those early Lakers. Uh, Magic and Bird had the Lakers Celtics in the 80s. Um, and then Bill Russell had his Celtics in the 60s. And it really kind of feels like to be an all-time great player, you have to have kind of like your iconic team, right? So, you know, over nine finals, eight straight, you know, LeBron's kind of been, you know, he's always going to be attached to Cleveland, um, but obviously he won most of his championships with Miami. So he's never really had that kind of, I'm the second greatest player of all time, and here's my iconic team that you can kind of, you know, um, you, you know, kind of link me to. And then same with Kevin Durant, you know, like, like being on Golden State, it never really still hasn't really kind of felt like he's on Golden State, even though that's where he's won his titles. 
And so I wonder if we're going to start seeing kind of this um, transition of players not necessarily being attached to teams as much, you know, like before we've always considered that the great teams and the great players are, are kind of, you know, bonded together. And that might still be true with, uh, you know, Steph and Dwayne Wade and some players, but I think with some of the really, you know, truly greats, um, which, you know, Kevin Durant has a potential to be, um, you know, we're kind of moving beyond sort of, you know, this kind of team uh, defining kind of moment here. So you bring up some of these chemistry kind of things that, that might be in the Golden State locker room. Um, you know, we still kind of saw this kind of friction between Steph and Katie on the court. Um, you know, do, do, how do you see that kind of playing out next year? Um, and then with regards to kind of other teams in the East and the West, you know, in terms of super teams, um, you know, what, what kind of has to be the winning formula? So, you know, first just kind of talk about like the friction between Steph and KD. And then second, you know, maybe kind of, um, you know, what's kind of the, the, the basic formula of beating Golden State? That's a tough one. You know, as these games have gone on, my, my opinion of Steph and Katie's relationship has changed. You know, it looks all great in the media, and they certainly look like they play great together. But you never, you know, I've never seen, like, a 1-4 pick and roll with them, which is something you would expect from, like, any team that has yeah, two I, great I, players. I, I think if Steph and KD did a pick and roll, I mean, they would absolutely kill everybody. <laughs> exactly. And that's, like, something, you know, Dwayne and LeBron used to do or, like, LeBron and Bosh used to do all the time. And I don't like seeing that. I love seeing... Like they, they seem to flow the ball well. You know, game one wasn't very wasn't there a whole lot. I have a hard time seeing like both guys go off in very different ways. It's not like um it's not like a plug and play where it's like, all right, we can do LeBron screen rolls or Dwayne Wade screen rolls and both score in similar fashions. It's like Durant ISOs and post ups and then Steph off of crazy screens and occasional pick and rolls that work out. Um, which, hey, maybe that's like a Kobe Shaq type thing, but I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not convinced that, you know, with all of their money they've got on these players and maybe some exhaustion, mental exhaustion, a little bit of physical fatigue any sort of random chance things that could happen that they can keep this performance up. Yeah. I, th I think KD stays to try and get the three feet. Um, but after that, you know, with free agency, he might go elsewhere um, because I know he's also looking for money this time around. Um, you know, maybe it's not enough to win titles, but maybe you also have to, uh, you know, be the man on the team as well as get paid. Um, so is, you know, what's, what's kind of the way of beating Golden State? You know, we, we've seen Houston kind of do this kind of reverse engineering of if we accumulate enough, you know, three point shooters and enough talent, maybe we can beat them. We've seen kind of the Cleveland, you know, we have an all time great player. If we can surround him with enough of a cast, maybe that can break through. 
we've seen kind of a bigger man basketball uh, with Anthony Davis and kind of playing that um, super quick, you know, very pace um, and space kind of game. Uh, we've seen Portland kind of do like a your backcourt, our backcourt kind of thing. Um, you know, what's going to be the 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 foundation for beating a Golden State? You know. Yeah. So. I think the best case for this was two years ago with the IT4 Celtics. Um, they were the only team that had beaten Golden State both times that season. Um, I believe that was the the seventy three one season. If I'm not mistaken, um, and, and that was it's amazing to see because that Boston team back then was just so team play oriented. You know, they've got passes going all over the place, people cutting and moving, you know, boxing out for each other. And that's what you have to do to Golden State, I think. You have to, and that's something the Spurs are notorious for, is this collective uh, team basketball IQ or, like, collective team basketball skill, where it's it's, it's not, you know... One player ISO all day long because that's what Harden tried to do, and for seven games, you know, that's they're gonna lock into you eventually. They just they're not that stupid, you know. And Portland's kind of tried to do this, and they can hang in there a little bit, but you know, it, it they just end up running out of uh, running out of different wrinkles to throw when you're just relying on ISOs left and right, and I think that's. That's honestly why the Spurs won a game against them is they just played superior team basketball because it's one you know the the hard part about Golden State is you got to play like forty five minutes of everybody is attached like puppets on a string to each other and everybody knows this is the switch I need to make this is a slip so I don't switch you know we're hedging this so this guy needs to cover the role man from the weak side or from this player or whoever. The, the Pelicans kind of got the hang of that after a while. Spurs obviously have a great handle on that. You would think Minnesota would have a good handle on it with Tibbs being a defensive coach, but uh, Wiggins and Cat still have some room to grow. Uh, Boston obviously has a handle on that because Brad Stevens is amazing. Um, but that's why that's you know how they beat people. It's it's the it's the plays that look really simple. It's like, oh, the guy slipped and nobody's covering him. But that's because they have so much different actions they run off these screens that they just keep you guessing. And it's not like it keep you guessing like, oh, is he going to cross left or right? It's like, oh, is he going to curl left? Is he going to curl right? Are they going to screen for each other? Is it going to be backdoor? And that's like the beautiful basketball that everybody talks about. <laughs> you know, Bill or Jalen or all these analysts are like, this is beautiful to watch. And it really is because it's, it is that team aspect that, you know, you don't often, you don't really see from a LeBron or from a Kobe because they're, they're such uh, usage, high usage players, you know, Westbrook or Armello or any of these, these great scorers. It's, it's mostly because of their, individual prowess but like a lot of Steph's prowess is because of this team team flow and team dynamic that's going on all right i've got a couple more items and then we'll close out with some player ratings for the series 
so is is do you think LeBron uh, is the one to kind of beat Golden State? You know, we've kind of seen him play four years now in the finals, and a lot of what Golden State has done with acquiring Kevin Durant was kind of in response to LeBron James. Um, do you think LeBron is going to be the one to take down Golden State, or do you think it's going to be somebody else? You know, is is it kind of written in LeBron's story that he has to also be the guy to take down Golden State after doing kind of everybody in the East? He has to be the one to take down Golden State. No, I think I think someone in the West will be Golden State before someone in the East does. Do you think it's a, a team? In the West with LeBron James, like do you, do you see LeBron James kind of playing into the narrative of Golden State, um, you know, not winning more titles, you know, this kind of dynasty ending? It could be, but I'm having a hard time seeing where he fits in. You know, people are saying, "Oh, he should go to Houston," but you know, I, I'm I'm having a hard time betting on Houston and oh Spurs, but I'm having, you know obvious rumors going around there that don't look great so we'll see i think honestly those two teams have the best shot but i'm not i'm not 100 percent convinced that lebron's gonna be the 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 centerpiece to why those teams get over the hump uh is this the last great year of lebron do you think this is like the last of um ultra prime lebron we've seen i, I mean I, I think i've seen higher potentials out of his game but is this the last great year of his run before you know he just becomes like ah you know the second best player in the world <laughs> you know I, I don't think so he he fills up a box score in so many different ways you know if he's on a crappy team again he'll get triple doubles every other night if he's on a good team he'll still get triple doubles every other night um Maybe he doesn't play as many games. Maybe that's his knock. Maybe he doesn't show up for every game like he used to or take some in-house nights off. But he's got another, you know, barring any of these crazy injuries that may happen to him in the future, I'd say he's got another year or two of, you know, 28, 8-8. All right, uh, let's jump into some series recaps then. Uh, what's your what's your final grade for uh, Steph Curry for the series? I'd give him I'd give him an A minus. The only knock being that game three where he basically uh, shot himself out of the game. Uh, Kevin Durant. Uh, I I'd also give him an A minus. The first game was. They should have lost because of him, but they didn't. <laughs> uh, Clay Thompson. Uh, I think he's the hardest one to grade, just because he doesn't need to do as much on offense, but he always has to guard like the best, uh, you know, small guy on defense. Yeah, I'm gonna give him like a B because he had pretty good game one and two. Um, I think the ankle is like starting to catch up to him though, because he he was he's looking. I, I don't know. He feel like he wasn't finding his shot very easy, and his drives weren't as clean as they used to be when he was at full health. So, I think part of that's yeah. Injury. It felt like this series kind of relegated him to like a role player almost, 
um, as you know, as opposed to you know the star guy that he really is. Uh, Draymond Green, he didn't he didn't get ejected in any game, and he only picked up one tech in the series. So I'd say that's an improvement, even though his stat line is worse. It's not. It's not worse in a, like a bad way. It's just like he didn't. Uh, yeah, I... He didn't score nearly as much as he did in the past, or get as many blocks, or steals, or rebounds. But that's because they played Javale a lot, and they have you know Kevin Durant, who are both taller than him significantly. So, uh, Javale McGee, uh, A plus, dude. We thought was all a bum, but is actually useful. <laughs> um, Sean Livingston. I give I give him an A. He did exactly what Sean's supposed to do. He shot a crazy percentage, and uh, he oftentimes made the lead bigger while he was out on the floor. Uh, Andre Iguodala. I give him like a, a B minus, yeah. but you know he was out and injury nags and stuff, so that's not really clean and fair. Uh, last for Golden State, uh, Nick Young. Swaggy P. Uh, I think I think I give him an A for the just the entirety of the season. Like he actually proved that he's just not like some guy that just like slings Deon, wood and yeah, does Dion Waiters two point Yeah, like he's actually a good three point shooter, but he just yeah. uh, he's got to be in a system that supports him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, flipping it to the Cavs. Um... All right, let's let's begin with Jr. Jr. Smith. He won more games than anyone else on his team did. <laughs> he gets an A plus. <laughs> uh, complimenting his backcourt, Giorgio. Dude, that guy gets like a C plus. Like he had one good game and then just kind of disappeared. Yeah, I don't know. He just, I don't know if it's age or what, but. It just felt like the more he played, the worse he looked. Uh, speaking of playing the more and looking worse, Jordan Clarkson. Dude, the dude should not be on this team. He, he has to be gone. He has to go somewhere else. Uh, Rodney Hood. If they gave him a chance earlier, I feel like I'd rate him higher. Like he actually yeah. didn't wasn't awful in those spot minutes he played here and there. He's like good size, body, like played pretty decent defense on Kevin Durant. Um, can get his own shot on people smaller or bigger than him. Not the greatest shot. It's only like one or two dribble moves he's got, but you know, he's, a, he's a multi-use offensive player. Uh, you know, I'd give him a B. Uh, Kyle Korver. The dude didn't make any shots, couldn't get open. In the previous series, he was doing great, but Golden State's too keyed in on spot-up shooters like that, so... I, I yeah, it, it really felt like Golden State actually had defense for Kyle Korver. Like, they actually had, like, um, a focus to take him out of the game, um, which is kind of unusual um, to see from a guy who's doesn't really bring a whole lot besides spot-up shooting. Um... Tristan Thompson? I give him a B. I feel like the JaVale matchup really threw him off, but he still played like yeah. pretty decently. Not like worth his contract by any means, but like still still solid enough to keep around. 
Yeah, I thought he had a lot of parallels to uh, Clint Capella in the Houston series where uh, in small minutes, you know, these big guys can actually, like, move, you know, move move the chains essentially. But um, you play him too long and Golden State just figures out how to, how to tear him off the floor. Uh, Larry Nance Jr.? If it was game four, I'd give him an A, but any other game, I'd give him, like, a C. Uh, Jeff Green. <laughs> I, I'd, like, I don't even remember if he did anything yesterday. Like, like I, I, he, <laughs> he kind of just disappeared the last two games. Give him, like, yep, a C, yep. I think. Pretty, pretty consistent theme, I'm, I'm seeing. Uh, Kevin Love. He gets a lot of flack for, I think it's a little bit unjustified. He was kind of the only one attempting to hold their own on that team besides LeBron. Yeah. So I give him like a B. I mean, I know it's hard for him to stay out there, but he his his ISO defense against you know their guards actually was better this year than last year, and I think his offense took a little bit of a hit for that. So I give him a B. Yeah, I thought he was. Uh... Really good in almost every first quarter, um, but he sort of struggled as the game kind of wore on. Um, I just don't know if he's really built for this kind of style in the NBA anymore. You know, like 2014, 2015 season, you know, Kevin Love, who they traded for, I think makes perfect sense um, at the time. But I think Steph Curry and Golden State have redefined how you play basketball. And Kevin Love is sort of like victim to that, um, as evidenced by his inefficient shooting nights, um, specifically in games two, three, and four. Um, one more before we get to LeBron. Uh, Ty Lu, not exactly a player, but I mean, how do you see Ty Lu? You know, what what grade does he get for trying to find a lineup in this series? Like like. Well, going back to Kevin Love for a second, you know, I think his problem is is um, you know, let's just say you like swap him out with Draymond just for like offensive purposes. You know, let's say they do you know the Steph trap at the top. You pass it to Kevin Love. He's got an open floor, and you know a guy's running over from a weak side player. I'm not confident he can do like two or three dribbles and pass it off to another guy in the corner. Like I, I, that's something that I think has to, as part of the game, he has to add to successful in this newer stage of the NBA. Yeah, I think he's got to play a lot more like Al Horford. Yeah, um, a little more know, of a playmaker. Be, yeah, but I don't know if he can really do it. I mean, he's only twenty nine or thirty, so he's not. You know, he's still got time, but I don't know if um, that's really the way he goes. I know that while he's been at Cleveland, he's sort of moved further and further away from the low post. Um, kind of stretching out with with uh, shooting threes, um, as opposed to when he was in Minnesota and he was like in like twenty five and fifteen. He's kind of moved away from that. Um, I think it'd be interesting though to see him kind of go back to that. Um, maybe not on Cleveland, but maybe somewhere else. I could really use like a low post presence, kind of see how he does. Um, but Ty Lue, what's what's your grades for a? Well, let's do Ty Lue and Steve Kerr, um, the coaching matchup. I think Steve Kerr gets a gets an A from me for the JaVale choice. Putting trust in him and then not rushing Iguodala back and 
I think uh, he was very smart with how long he let his bench stay out, I think. And even given, like, Kavon Looney's spot minutes and uh, playing David West, I feel like that, that was all very, very smartly done. Whereas Ty Lue, I think he should have... I think he should have, you know, convinced Rodney Hood to play more. I, I I don't know what's going on with Rodney Hood and why he won't play with, with them. But, you know, if that guy gets some minutes in game two, maybe we say, oh, he gets, you know, 20 points in game four. Maybe that gets the game closer, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think Ty Lue probably did the best he could really do with such limited, like, talent available. Um, whereas Steve Kerr almost had like the exact opposite problem. He's got so much talent, he's got to figure out how to manage it. I think he is uh, one of the premier coaches in the league. Um, it's just a shame that he's going to retire after next season. Um, and let's cap it with LeBron James. What's your grade for LeBron in this series? I give I give him a B plus. His game one was great. Game two and three were like pretty average. Game four was below average. Defense was a little bit suspect on the in, on the individual level sometimes. Hard to tell how much these injuries are affecting him. And that's what gives me some pause. Yeah. Um, any other last minute takeaways from this series or anything else related to NBA? Um, I know that the Uncle Drew movie comes out on the 29th. Um, so that'll be pretty cool to see Kyrie back on the court. But uh, any other takeaways from uh, this series or this season now that it's uh, concluded? Um, any previews for next season or free agency or anything else you want to talk about today, Matt? Well, we've got, you know, almost two weeks before the draft. So we're going to have a long time to everybody's analysis of this game four and what the Cavs are doing and what the Warriors are going to do. That's going to get old really fast. So uh, another thing to look out for is I think I think uh, Bill Simmons is going to be doing a finals special for Golden State. Like a little more 30 for 30-esque. So whenever that comes out, keep an eye out for that. Uh, there's also a rumor going around that the Bill and Jalen Team previews are going to come back this year, so that'll be really cool. Cool. And of course, everybody's going to start recruiting LeBron right now, and some teams already have. You know, B's got some Twitter going, and his Cantor's got some Twitter action going. Dejounte Murray's got some Twitter action going, so we'll try. We'll try and stay on top of the free agency train going into the draft and seeing okay what what deals might go down with these picks because of course the pick is more valuable before you actually select the player um we'll see it'll it'll be interesting i hope this is a bigger shakeup than than what i might be disappointed in what actually happens because who knows everybody could just resign with their teams and we all roll the dice again <laughs> and i would i'd honestly hate that I love I love the free agency season. I love being like, oh, what would happen if this, this, and this all played together and then all these trades happened, you know? I love the three and fourteen deals. You know, it's like playing God with the NBA. So <laughs> I'm excited for it. Sounds good. 
All right, well, that'll do it for our episode of Heart in the Paint today. I know it's a little bit longer than usual, but uh, we couldn't have done it without our great sponsors over at uh, at Taco Bell. So Taco Bell, of course, is doing the Steal a Taco for Stealing a Road game. I believe that's the 16th. You can go into your Taco Bell from 2 to 6 p.m. and get your free Doritos Locos Taco. Uh, and you should also take a look at them because they are the premier choice for Mexican-inspired fast food cuisine. They have all sorts of nachos, chalupas, tacos, quesadillas, you name it. They've got anything that sounds Mexican uh, that can be shoved down your mouth hole. So for just $5, you can get their, their uh, quick and easy, fast and hot $5 box meal. You get, you know... Two entrees, usually a side of nachos and a, and a large fountain drink. Great for lunch, great for dinner, great for, you know, midnight uh, midnight hungerings. You can try one of these at your local Taco Bell today. Uh, we don't have any promo code for them because they're not a real sponsor. But uh, don't forget about your free Doritos Locos Tacos. And uh, also coming up on the, the Heart in the Paint Network, we're going to have... Uh, special guests going on for for our draft previews that know more about the college game but that's, not, that's just not something that we pay attention to a whole lot of here we will be back uh, next week sometime for another great episode of hard in the paint podcast 